morning, everyone. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the rain and the snow. Thank you for getting together today. Thank you for your word. Father, we've opened your word in front of us. We're going to go through some things here as we head into Easter. Father, please bless this time that we have together. Please open your heart and open your wisdom and open your mind to us that uh, we could draw closer to you. Amen. Some uh, real quick announcements. Um, so uh, the next food bank is, uh, is March 12th and 13th, uh, so coming up here in a couple of weeks. Um, Bible studies are going on, so uh, get together with Vern or um, with Rhonda if uh, you would like to come to the Tuesday ones, um, and we have that going on. We are in, in Lent. We're in the uh, first week of Lent. If you are not receiving the, the email devotionals, um, please put your email on a piece of paper and put it in the offering box in the back, and I will get that in your list. If you don't want to receive them, there's a little unsubscribe button at the bottom, and I don't blame you. <laughs> um, but uh, so we are doing those, and as you can see, we're, we're going to do a series um, over, over Lent. So we're doing this series called uh, um, 40 Days with Jesus, and uh, this week um, we are doing John the Baptist, and next week we will do uh, Peter. Um, yesterday, we had a, a church work day, and it was a smashing success. I, round of applause for everybody. Um, I cannot thank you guys enough. Um, I mean, there was, it was crazy. There was people here. There was toilets being fixed. The outside was being pressure washed. Um, there was stuff flying everywhere. Closets got cleaned out. The shed got cleaned out. Um, it, was, it was amazing and fantastic. We got new banners put up. We got light bulbs replaced. It was Great. I cannot thank everyone enough for that. Um, continue on with our calendar. Um, if you guys remember Ray that's been coming every once in a while to play the cajon um, with us, he is going to come and speak to the church on March 14th. So we had Matthias come and talk about his mission in Uganda, and then Ray is going to come and he's going to talk about his mission um, in uh, Myanmar and Thailand. So we're, we're super excited about that. Um, here the thing is that I really want us to move towards um, supporting missions more. Um, like I talk about with the food bank, if we start moving in a direction, if it's God's will, he will provide the support for it. He will, he will make provision for it. So we're going to boldly take a step in that direction. Um, and I would love for somebody that has it on their heart, has mission work on their heart, to champion that. That's how our food bank got started, was that somebody in the congregation was like, no, this is important. They, it lit a fire under them, and they were, they were all about it. So if it's, if it's on your heart and you're like, man, yeah, mission work is, is my thing, like I say, God will make the provision for it. You just got to have the, the passion and the desire to, to, to move it forward. Um, but it really would be great for us to, to do that. Um, I will be gone uh, March 21st. It's spring break, so we're going to take a trip as a family. So you get, you get Pastor Nathan for that Sunday. Um, then uh, Easter is coming up on April 4th. Um, so we're going to do a Good Friday service, a worship service on Good Friday, and then we'll have Easter, we'll have a sunrise service out at the Berries, and then we'll, um, we'll have an Easter service here on the, on the 4th. Um, April 11th, we're going to have the, the Gideons come back and, and give us about 20 minutes. So um, I don't know if you guys uh, remember Lynn St. Peter that has come for forever. He passed away recently. Um, he had cancer, um, and yeah, what a great, great man. Um, but it's good that um, there's, uh, there's a gentleman named Stephen who will be coming, and uh, he might bring his boss, Lou, 
And so it would be great if they come and, and speak to us. Um, they're the ones that provide us with the, the little Bibles that we give out at Food Bank. And they also give us Bibles that we give to the, the kids as well. And then they go around to the school. Their, their work is amazing. I am super pleased that we get to have them um, come and speak to us. And again, that's April 11th. And then um, we have uh, Secret Church coming up on April 23rd. Uh, if you guys notice, um, we, you know, we have the library here. It's one of my favorite things that we have is our library. Um, but uh, John takes care of that. So thank you very much, John. Um, but he, uh, he put a bunch of Bibles at the, at the back of the church there. So if you come into church and you don't have a Bible with you, please feel free to, to grab one of those and, and take it with you. Um, you know, we will, I, I will buy more Bibles um, if, if we need them. So I say they're back there at the back. So if you find yourself without one or maybe you want to try a different translation or to read things in a different way when you come into church, please grab one of those and use it. And in the same way, like I say, remember we have that library. Um, if there's something that, that's on your heart that you want to read about, learn about, know about, I, I'm betting we have a book about it over there in the library. Um, and we have a bunch of boxes of books in the protege room as well that are not in the library. So um, we have, a, it, it's kind of a strange time in our lives where books have become so commonplace. Um, they're, they're quite frankly very inexpensive um, and they just get passed around so freely. It's really a wonderful time um, to be alive in that, that information is available in those printed books. So please take advantage of that. And please remember to put your prayer requests in the giving box at the back of the church. Um, and again, we are going to be doing the 8th uh, the annual, 20th annual joke contest. Um, I do have uh, some, some stuff. I'm going to put a couple pictures up here. So, uh, gosh, this started a, a couple of years ago. Um, we were talking about trying to, uh, to communicate to everybody who we are as a church. And uh, so... Uh, Nathan took it upon himself, uh, gosh, about a month ago after we had a, um, uh, a meeting, because I've had several people, quite a few people, that have come up to me and they've been like, oh, you guys are a church? They had no idea. And one of the, the main things that we need to communicate to people <laughs> is that we are a church and that we are a Christian church. So we endeavored, um, like I say, starting about a year ago, um, to move to get a new logo and some new signage to make it clear to people who we are. Um, so we, we went to this, web, Nathan did this, he went to this website thing, we got a bunch of uh, responses back on that, and so, ta-da, here it is. We have a, a new logo, and we will be moving towards some new signage as well. So thank you, Pastor Nathan, for, for doing that. Yeah, so we'll get some new stickers, we'll get some new swag, and the best part about it, really the best part is, I, see, I, the whole time I've been thinking about this, like when the Broncos got their new logo, um, we probably won't get a Super Bowl trophy. I'm so, I know, I'm sorry. But, but if you hang on to your old polos, your old stuff, like in five years, it's all throwback, right? So you can have some really valuable merch. You know, say you were one of the, the originals with your throwback. So <laughs> I know it doesn't work like that. Um, anyway, so that's what we have, uh, we have going on there with, um, with the new logo. So I'm going to open the door for the, the joke contest. I have, a, I have a joke for this morning. Is everybody ready? It's, it, it's a preacher's joke, so uh, I'm going to tell this in first. This is not a true story. I'm just telling you that right now. <laughs> so one of our members was in front of me coming out of church the other day, and the uh, preacher was standing by the door, as he always is, to shake hands. And he grabbed the, the guy by the hand and pulled him aside, and he said to him, you need to join the army of the Lord. The guy replied, I said, I'm already in the army of the Lord. 
preacher said, well, how come I only see you at uh, Christmas and Easter? And he said, I'm in the secret service. (laughs) There you go. All right. So we're talking about John the Baptist this morning. We have three parts to our message. We're going to talk about the messenger, the message, and then the reception or receiving that message. And there's three kind of buzzwords I want you guys to listen for as we go through this. Seeing, hearing, and speaking. Those are three buzzwords. You're going to see them come up over and over and over again as we go through this. So we have the messenger, the message, and the reception, and then seeing, hearing, and speaking. Uh, we're going to start with um, the John 1.29. This is really the theme, the verse um, that, that's kind of our key verse for this message. It says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So our first part, we're going to talk about the messenger. We just want you to know who John the Baptist is. If there's nothing you get out of today, it is you should have a good background of who John was, where he came from, the prophecies about him, that kind of thing. So we'll do that in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before the temple of the Lord and burnt incense, and when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of the incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord. Wow, that's an amazing thing to say, isn't it? In the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among his people. See, John's arrival, it was foretold, it was known. If we go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, here it is. And this is repeated throughout Matthew and Mark. They say this exact quote. 
a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then we go forward. If we go to, uh, to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Again, this is just another prophecy about John the Baptist. It says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And then go to Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. It says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And the thing when we read about those prophecies, the hard part is, and, and the key for us, is that in retrospect, when we look back, when we look at these prophecies, when we look at these statements, it was obvious that the time of Jesus had come. And to the careful observer, it was obvious we just read about Simeon. We just read about Anna. We just read about the Magi. There's over 170 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. So think about the Christmas star. It was obvious to the Magi, but to King Herod, it had to have the scribes explain it to him. Think about just this, the birth of John the Baptist. Zechariah was mute for nine months. And he became mute while lighting incense in the temple. And then, after his voice was restored, he said, Jesus was coming. At the minimum, the folks who served with him at the temple should have been ready. But none of them are recorded as joining Jesus in his ministry. None of them even joined John in proclaiming the gospel. That's a word of caution to us because a lot of people missed it. But it tells us something, that the Bible is telling us the truth. The truth is the return of Christ will catch us off guard. So we must be ready at all times for Christ to return. The Bible says it will be like a flash of lightning across the sky, that we will be busy in the everyday, and boom, time is up. That's in Luke chapter 17, verse 20 through 37. It says, Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see, when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, There he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying, and being given into marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, Fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field shall go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Mm. It's a stern warning. See, the thing is that we, like John, 
are messengers with the same duty to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. And we need to do better than our ancestors. It calls on us to pay attention to John, to look at John, and to emulate John. See, John was a prophet in the spirit of Elijah. I love it. You know, God, John's name means God is gracious. It's a great name. Elijah means my God is Yahweh. So a quick recap of the life of Elijah. Remember that there were two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And so there's, there's kings in the northern kingdom. So we have Jeroboam, who's one of the, one of the kings. And he kind of goes off the rails. There really weren't any good kings in the, in the northern kingdom, but he's kind of off the rails. So he's trying to build a temple in the northern kingdom so they can have sacrifices instead of going down to, to the temple in Jerusalem. Well, Jeroboam has a son named Omri, and Omri is like his dad. He does not follow the law. He does not honor God. And King Omri has a son named Ahab. So Omri makes peace with the king of Sidon of Phoenicia uh, by having Ahab marry Sidon's daughter Jezebel, who is also a priestess of Baal. You probably remember her name. So Omri builds a temple to Baal, and Baal worship spreads all over that northern kingdom, over Israel. There are Asherah poles, and there's all sorts of idols all over the kingdom. It's important to know that Baal is the Canaanite god of rain, thunder, and dew. That's important, so that when Elijah goes out and he, he performs certain miracles, it is directly speaking against what people believed Baal was. So Elijah is a prophet of God, and he challenges Omri, and more specifically Jezebel. He comes and he says that there will be a drought in the land, and that is a specific testament that Baal did not exist. Elijah goes, um, and he flees to the wilderness. Remember, you guys have all heard this story where he stays with the widow and her son during the drought, where she only has enough flour and oil for one day. You guys remember that story? And Elijah tells her if she feeds him, she will not run out of flour and oil until the drought ends. And she is faithful, and the flour and oil do not run out. She has manna for the entire time of the drought. However, her son dies. And Elijah prays, and he is resurrected. That is the first resurrection recorded in the Bible. So then Elijah goes back after the drought, and he proposes a direct test of the powers of Baal and God. Um, the people of Israel, um, there's 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. They all go to Mount Carmel. And an altar is built for Baal, and wood is laid on the altar. There's an ox that's slaughtered and cut into pieces. And Elijah, um, you know, invites the priest of Baal to pray, you know, to, to light the fire. And they pray from morning to noon without success. And Elijah's over there, you know, he taunts them. He's like, yeah, you know, maybe you need to pray louder. Maybe you need some more people says, cry aloud, surely he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he has wandered away, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they respond by cutting themselves and adding their own blood to the sacrifice. So Elijah builds an altar from 12 stones. He digs a huge trench around it. He lays wood on it. He slaughters another ox and cuts it up. Then he orders that the sacrifice and the altar be drenched with water from four large jars. And they do that three times, and it also fills the trench. And then he asks God to accept the sacrifice, and fire falls from the sky, consuming the sacrifice. And the stones of the, the altar itself, the earth and the water, that all of it is consumed. And then Elijah then orders the deaths of the priests of Baal. And then he prays earnestly for rain to fall again on the land, and then the, the rain begins, signaling the end of the, the famine. 
Remember, Elijah is the one who, he, uh, he's the one who's in the cave when the terrible wind passes, but God is not in the wind. And there's that terrible earthquake, but God is not in the earthquake. And then there's a fire on the mountain, but God is not in the fire. Then there's the still small voice, and God is in the voice. And that whole time, <laughs> Elijah is, is lamenting the state of, 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 of Judah and Israel. That whole time. So that's kind of a summary of, of the, the prophet Elijah. Because Elijah is unique. At the very end of his life, he is taken up to heaven in a chariot. It's a direct, uh, a direct ascendance to heaven. His physical body is taken up to heaven. And there's, you know, he gets in the chariot, it goes up, and his mantle actually falls on the ground. And it's picked up by his, his hand-picked successor, Elisha. So how do we know that John the Baptist is this, this prophet who came in the spirit of Elijah? Well, we know that because Jesus says so. He says it in Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 19. Um, if, we, uh, if we jump down there, it says, As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He says, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. It says it right here. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears... Let them hear. There it is. I don't think we need any stronger testimony than that, that John the Baptist was the Elijah, the, the prophet in the spirit of Elijah that was coming. So that's the history lesson. That's it. That's the whole history lesson. But there's some things that we learn about John the Baptist. Remember that we have these, these things. The first part is going to be the messenger. And again, listen for these things, seeing, hearing, and speaking. It's important, if we didn't read it in, the, in our Bibles today, but remember when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and John leaps in her womb at the, at the sound of Mary's voice? He heard her voice, and he leapt in her womb. There's a part about Zechariah losing his voice. He's unable to speak. And then there's a part where John goes out, and he is speaking to the people. So when we talk about ourselves as the messenger, we take John's example. We must speak plainly. We must speak plainly and simply proclaim the good news of the gospel. This is not a place for fancy speech and big words. We must proclaim the gospel in as bold and simple terms as possible. John was not dressed in fancy clothes. He wore camel hair and a leather belt. He ate honey and locusts. Fancy clothes and fancy words are not the tools of the gospel. See, the thing is that the message of the gospel is too important for it not to be obvious to everyone who hears it. There's a story of a, a young man who was going to go preach on a Sunday, and several of his teachers, several of his professors were going to be in the audience, and he was worried about impressing them, showing off what he learned, and one of the old guys pulled him aside and said, hey man, those guys, 
They already know. They've already heard it before. You need to be speaking to the people that are standing in the aisles, to the lowest person that walks through the door. That is who needs to hear the gospel. The next thing about a messenger is we have to have seen the Lord ourselves. A true messenger has seen the Lord. Because you cannot proclaim what you have not seen and have not heard. 1 John 1, 1 through 4 says, That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. If you want to be a witness for Christ, listen to that. A witness saw something. That's what a witness is. The witness saw something. A witness heard something and is testifying to the truth of what they heard and what they saw. The thing is that when we proclaim the gospel, people are going to ask questions, and rightfully so, and they should. Who is this Jesus that you are talking about? What is he like? Who is he that we should, should believe in him? Why should we take him as Lord and Savior? And how will you answer if you have not seen him? You must look at him. And you must look at him continually. Look at him anew. The thing is, do you know him? Do you know who he is? Where he came from? What he did? Do you know of his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and his return? That means spending time in his word, marveling at the work of his hands. It means seeking him continually. Have conversation with him. Don't just speak. Though, when we pray, we don't hold back either. We need to take time to listen. We need to be washed in the water like he was. We need to eat the bread and drink the cup in communion with him. Then we can be more like John. We can point to him as we see him coming along the bank of the river, and we can say, like John, behold the Lamb of God. Because imagine if you haven't, if you haven't seen him, if you haven't heard him, and you're standing there saying that. You're lying. And your intentions might be good. And you might want to see him. You might want people, right, to either like you or to like the words or like something. You might think it's something that people want to hear. Maybe you want prestige or power or whatever. It really doesn't matter. You're not a true witness. You're not a herald for the king. A true witness is talking about something they have seen and something they have heard. Matthew chapter 15, 1 through 20, talks about this exact thing. It says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, 
they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Here it is. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And he replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Hmm. Some harsh words. Jesus calls them blind guides. And notice the disconnect between words and heart. It's not enough that we pray, that we worship, that we teach. No, it must be the fruit of a tree that is planted firmly in the soil of Christ. It must be the fruit that is born of a changed and repentant heart. This is not the place for play acting. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through say, say exactly this. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Christ said, it's blind leading the blind. See, if we as messengers have not seen Christ, if we have not heard him, if our hearts are not changed, if we have not confessed and repented, if we have not died to our sin and been born again, what can you expect of the people who listen to us? What can you expect of the people who hear us? They'll be the same. That's why he says the blind leading the blind. The same whitewashed tombs, pristine on the outside, but dead on the inside. All rot and decay. See, if you cannot see Christ, neither can they. So do not take the me up the mantle of, of messenger lightly. And notice that John sees Jesus coming away off, and he tells people about Jesus coming. In our message, we must have a bend. We must have a bias towards Christ's return. Our prayer, our teaching, our living must be biased towards the return of Christ. As we said at the very beginning, we have no idea when Christ will return. But we know some things about it. We know, number one, it'll be the exact right time. That God's decisions are not just good decisions. They're the best decisions. They're perfect decisions. It will be the perfect time for him to return. We also know what the Bible says, that it will come when we least expect it, that we really have no idea what it will, when it will come. It'll be a day like any other day until suddenly it isn't. And as messengers, we must have an urgency, a bias towards the return of Christ. We must convey the message of Christ with a sense of urgency born of the impending imminent return of the king that as many souls as we can scrounge up have heard the message and know the king is coming. See, it's not enough to bury the message in our backyards or on our bookshelves. It's not enough to take the message out to our quiet place in the woods and meditate on it. It is not enough 
to nail to a post in the town square and expect people to find it on their own. I spent a long time between being a volunteer with the dive team and being a volunteer firefighter, being a police officer, using the radio. It's all about communication. It's all about clear, concise communication. You go through this training annually to make sure that you know how to use the radio. It's surprising how bad I, I was at it, just FYI. But there's some steps, laid out steps when you use the radio. Because you need to communicate clearly and succinctly because that traffic is for everybody. And we aren't messing around. This is for emergency traffic. So you gotta be clear, you gotta be concise, you got to make sure your communication went across and that it was received. And that not only was it received, that it was understood. But you also got to get off the radio because there might be somebody that's in real trouble that needs to get on. So when you would get on, you know, it's always, hey, you, it's me. That was the protocol. So in my case, when we, with the dive team, the dispatch over there was, was 900. And my number, greatest number ever was dive 30. Yeah, I love it. Still my favorite number. But so you would grab the radio, right? You would key it, you know, you would wait. You have to pause for a minute because you had to hit the repeaters. So you had to give the equipment a, pe a minute to, to connect. If you didn't, you would clip the front of your traffic and you'd have to repeat it. So not only did you make the dispatcher mad, but you wasted time. You wasted precious air time. You had to make sure you were on the right channel. Because if you're not on the right channel, either dispatch won't hear you because they aren't listening or Worse yet, and I've done it, you walk over an ambulance crew or you walk over a deputy on, on the law channel instead of being on FireNet where you're supposed to be. Not good. End up buying ice cream or pizza or something. So you key the mic and you wait a moment to make sure it connects. Then it's 900, dive 30 on FireNet. And you wait for a response. Because usually the, the dispatchers, and this was, you know, they probably don't have to do this anymore, but back in the day they had to scan so they weren't always on, on your frequency. They couldn't always get to it right away. So you had to wait a moment for them to come back. And then they would come back, and usually the, the, the senior dispatchers, they would come back, and you always wanted one word. If you could communicate your traffic in one word, that was like expert level. So they would come back, and it would just be dive 30. You know, if it was more formal, you could tell they were a little bit younger, because it would be, you know, dive 30 on FireNet. It'd be something like that. Just, hey, you, it's me on channel four. So you wait for the response. And if, if you waited too long, then you would get something impatient. It'd be like, go ahead with your traffic on FireNet. <laughs> but the thing is, that's the time. It's time to deliver the message in as simple and calm and direct manner as possible. Like I say, if you could do it in one word, that's the best. You know, you could do in route, even affirmative. You short it down to affirm. You could get it down to that. But, you know, there's sometimes you have to do more than that. Like, you know, if you had the truck, you had to go in route with dive truck one from the fire cache. We used plain speech dispatch. The troopers, I always thought I was kind of envious of them because they could use numbers. They could come back with one number for like 90% of their traffic. That's cool. End of that, you had to make sure that your message was not only received, but was also understood. And again, it was usually just one word. Dispatch would come back with copy, and they would say the time, you know, 1645. Or they would repeat the traffic back to you. Dive 30 and route with dive truck one from the fire cache, 1645. See, we have the same responsibilities with our message. To be simple, to be direct, to be clear, to be calm, 
we must make sure that it is not only received, but that it is understood. We must not only proclaim Christ is coming, but we must tell people to turn their heads and look for themselves. Quite frankly, I don't care if you see me or hear me. My job is to get you to look towards Christ and to listen to Christ. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. Do not look to the church. It cannot save you. Do not look to me. I cannot save you. Do not look to the music, to the communion, even to baptism. It cannot save you. Look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. He is coming. He is the one who saves. The thing is that it's the way of our internet culture. The look at me, the look at me, look at me. Aren't I cute? Aren't I funny? Aren't I wise? Aren't I politically correct? Aren't I politically incorrect? Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at my selfie. No. Look to Jesus. We gather here to proclaim him, to worship him, to pray to him, to seek him. He is more. He has to be more. And I must, we must be less. And that is exactly what John the Baptist said. We go to John chapter 3, verses 26 through 30. It says, They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. Do you know how to be certain of your faith? It's kind of a slippery thing, faith, isn't it? It's a little bit elusive. If you had to describe your faith, how would you describe it? Let me help you out with that. See, funny thing about faith is that it's transparent. It's clear. It's like a, a lens or a pair of binoculars or a pair of glasses. See, it, it helps you see what you believe in, but not itself. See, so if you are seeing evidence of Christ, if you are hearing the word, if you are seeing the miracles and the works of the Holy Spirit in the world, it is through your faith you are seeing. See, if you close your eyes, you can't see anything. You don't see your eyes. You see through your eyes. The opposite is also true. If you aren't seeing evidence, hearing the word, witnessing the miracles and works, that's time to get out the old cleaning spray. Right? Wipe them off a little bit. Pull out the old cleaning cloth. Polish up the old faith a little bit so that you can see straight. So last point about being the messenger. The messenger must lead you beyond themselves and to Christ. See, I have not done my job if your journey in faith ends here. If you get baptized, proclaim Christ as Lord and Savior, enter through the narrow gate, and then follow me on the narrow path. No, we are all equals who follow the same master. Pass me, shove past me, run past me, knock me down on your way to Jesus. Get so close to him that the dust from his feet gets your clothes dirty. Do not follow me, follow him. Follow Jesus yourself. Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 9 says this exact same thing. 
says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who calls you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, even if I, or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accept, accepted, let them be under God's curse. That's exactly what John the Baptist did. Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 through 12 says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So now, we've talked about the messenger. What's the message? What are we communicating? He says it. Behold, Jesus is coming. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we need to put on our faith glasses and we need to look. And we will see the Son of God. He has taken away our sin, your sin, my sin. Look at him. Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, the Messiah, fully man, fully God. He came here with a purpose of taking away our sin, of reconciling us to himself, of redeeming us. That word reconcile, it means to restore to a friendship or harmony. It's a great thing from David Platt I was listening to, I think, a week or so ago. See, we, we misuse some terms as Christians. We say things like, you know, peace be with you, or God be with you, or, you know, hopefully God is, is walking with you, or walk closer to God. That's, that's not a really good way to do that. Because the thing is, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. He is with you all the time. The question is, is his face turned towards you, or is his back turned towards you? Are you under his blessing and his grace? Or are you under his wrath and under his curse? When we say there's only two places, that's exactly what we, what we mean. Either God has turned to face you and his blessing and his grace and his mercy and his love are pouring out on you, or his back is turned to you and you are under his wrath. That's it. There's only two places to be. That word, reconcile, it describes God turning his face toward you. You are no longer under his wrath, under his curse. That word redeem, it means to purchase something for a price. It means it cost something. It wasn't free. There was something owed. See, Jesus paid the debt we could not pay to redeem us from our natural state of sin and death. He reconciled us to him that his blessing and mercy and grace could pour out on us instead of his anger and wrath. This in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I won't go through the whole thing. I'm just going to jump down to the very end. It says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. 
and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, Christ's messengers, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. This is a quote from Spurgeon, and I love it. Would you get there, young man? Then behold the Lamb of God, and you shall get there. There is life in a look at the Lamb of God. Would you get there, poor sinner, driven and hunted by by the devil? Then behold the Lamb of God. Do but look out of the corner of your eye if that is all you can do. Look through your blinding tears. Look through the mists and clouds that environ you. Do but look unto Jesus, and as every bitten one who looked at the brazen serpent lived, so every sick soul that looks to Christ shall live and live forever. That is the gospel, and it is a blessed gospel to have to preach. And blessed is the messenger who proclaims boldly and plainly in the name of Jesus, saying on Christ's behalf, look unto him and be ye saved, all you ends of the earth. Look and live. And may many do so at this very moment. Our last point is the reception. We have gone through the history of John the Baptist. We looked at Elijah. We looked at John and his attributes as a men- as messenger. We looked at the message. Now, how are you receiving? Do you copy? Are we all on the same frequency? See, the thing is, I will know when I see you following Christ. John chapter 1, verse 35 through 42 says, The next day John was there again, and two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas, Peter. I will know when you follow Jesus. Obey him, listen to him, call him Lord. It's funny how rebellious our, our nation is, how our people are. See, we chafe at the idea of calling anyone master. The whole time, we are slaves to sin and death. We tie anchors around our own feet and happily sink to our deaths rather than admit the truth of the separation in our hearts, our pride, our arrogance, because we want to be equal to God. We want to deny that we are created beings with a purpose, with a Father who calls us to a family where we have purpose and inheritance. Because the one thing we have to surrender to God is pride. And there is no true freedom without surrendering pride. Every other choice is an illusion. Oh, look, I can be temporarily satisfied here. I can pretend to be fulfilled there. I can be distracted. And here and there, and when it all crumbles, we just chase after the, the next thing, knowing it leads nowhere. All because we won't call Jesus Lord and won't surrender our pride. See, I will know when you live with Jesus. Andrew and Peter asked Jesus where he was staying and went to stay with him. And they didn't stop. They stumbled. Sure they did. And it's kind of nice to know they stumbled, just like we all stumble. 
but they did not stop. It was rough on the road with Jesus. It's not an easy life, moving from place to place, praying, watching as he healed, listening as he taught, watching as he provided and fed, being tested, passing and failing. But the reward was worth it. They were found sheep with the shepherd. They were children with their father. And I will note when you become messengers, when you have no choice but to say the same thing John did. Behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. Do you see him? Can you hear him? Can you speak of him? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son. Thank you for reconciliation and redemption and mercy and love and grace. Father, we seek to be your messengers, to go out into this world and to proclaim you loudly and boldly in a way that is fitting of you. Father, we see so many hurting and lost people, and we just want them to know you. Father, we have folks that are headed into surgery. We have folks that are recovering from surgery. We have folks that are fighting cancer. We have little boys that are still in the hospital. We have people who have lost loved ones who are mourning. Father, we, we lift them up to you. Our brothers and sisters are hurting. Father, we seek their comfort. We seek their provision. We seek your grace and mercy to pour out on their lives. And Father, if there's something that we can do to help, please send us. We'll go. Father, we lift up our church to you, that we would be on your path, that would be about your mission, that we would be doing the things that you would ask us to do, that would be in the place where you ask us to be. Please provide for us, please care for us, please correct us, that we could stay on that narrow path. Father, we pray a special blessing on our children, they would know you and see you and hear you. Father, there's a family that we know right now who, who their little boy committed suicide. Father, he, he didn't know you. He didn't know your hope. Please comfort them. Father, please somehow use this tragedy to let every other child know you know the hope that is in you. That we would not lose one more to despair. We ask all of that in the loving name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Do we need to make it past through the yellow room?